tonight we are on lesson 14 of our Three Angels series. The title is Understanding God's Judgment. So before we jump into our lesson tonight, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this evening. Truly, we are blessed to be able to, to study your word tonight. And we believe that you will teach us by your spirit and unfold to us the incredible teachings of Scripture. Lord, please help us to know you more as we learn the Word here. May we be revived and refreshed and just filled with your grace and your Spirit and the knowledge of your truth and your will. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing in all of this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So, looking at, looking at the judgment, a lot of times people are afraid of judgment. It sounds kind of scary. But, especially if you know you're guilty, it sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? <laughs> the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the good news is that we can have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God. And so when you, when you have that connection with the Lord, when you have that peace, it's not as scary. It's not so scary, really, because you trust in the Lord, right? You trust in His promises. You trust in the gospel. So as we look at the subject of the judgment together, we want to understand it in the context of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And actually, judgment is a good thing, if you think about it. Like, the difference between right or wrong. I mean, if you have to go see a judge, if you have a case and you know that, you have the, that you're kind of in the right, then you'd feel good that somebody's going to evaluate and try to make things right. So just some considerations about, about judgment actually is a good thing. And it's also a good thing that God blends His mercy and love through Jesus Christ with the judgment. But we want to understand how that works. Last time in our, our last two lessons, we kind of looked at, we looked at the sanctuary topic, and we looked at some prophecies that build around that, in particular a couple time prophecies that all go together. And so we're able to understand that sequence and those events and timings. But tonight we're going to look especially at the subject of of judgment itself. And when we go to the three angels' messages in Revelation 14, let's turn there and look at verse 7 where we find God's instruction about the, the judgment and the message of the judgment. As a matter of fact, let's read verse 6 and 7 of Revelation 14. Can we please have a volunteer who can read that for us? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the foundations of the waters. So the fountains of waters and the other items here. So we see there in verse 6, it mentions that the everlasting gospel is going to all the world. Now, of course, we have studied this before. We've looked at the context here. We see that in verses 14 and 15, one like the Son of Man is pictured coming in the clouds of heaven with a sharp sickle, and he's told to harvest the harvest of the earth because it's ripe. We know also there are the two harvests. There's one that's good and there's one that's bad, the grapes of wrath. Kind of a popular concept I'm sure most all of us have heard about. And it comes right here from Scripture, from Revelation 14. So the harvest, or two harvests, are completely ripe. 
the Lord comes to harvest the earth. So what we realize is the three angels' messages are messages that are leading us up to the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, for the ripe harvests of the earth. And in verse 6, we see the everlasting gospel, the good news of Jesus being preached to people all over the planet, all around the world, in every different language group, every different place around the, around the globe. And then in verse 7, it tells us, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. In other words, it is here now that it has come. So the Bible tells us here that there is a time in history in the last days of earth's history when the gospel is going to the world still and you're preparing for Jesus to come. God wants the whole world to hear this good news before he does come and to hear the gospel message. And so as that message is going, it, the message says, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. So we are also living in the hour of God's judgment here in these last days. And we looked at the timing a bit in our last lesson. We'll look at it a little bit more tonight in a general overall sense, you know, to get the whole picture there. Uh, but essentially, we're seeing a work of judgment along with the proclamation of the gospel just before Jesus comes. And there's a call to worship the Creator God, to fear Him, to reverence Him, to love Him, to trust Him, and to keep His commandments. Amen. Because we also know that those who are faithful through this crisis, they keep the commandments of God. Notice verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So those who are victorious through this crisis are those who follow the Lord Jesus and keep His commandments. They choose to be faithful to Jesus. Their faith leads them to be faithful to God, to obey His voice. And that's what it means to fear God. So this gives us a very good context of, of what's going on here, what we're looking at. But now I want to go back and take a look at some of the prophecies in the book of Daniel that give us a clearer understanding of this work of judgment. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 7. This is the sister book to the book of Revelation. These prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, they go right together. And there are other prophets that also connect with these books. But these are two um, very important books that go right together. So in chapter 7 of Daniel, we're looking there at verse 9 and 10, which describe the judgment activity. And to give us a little context, Verse 8 tells us about this little horn power who comes up speaking great things. And we've already studied that in this class. So if anyone hasn't maybe listened to that yet, you have a chance to go back and hear the recordings on it. So verse 9 and 10. Uh, can somebody please read that for us? I beheld till the thorns were cast in, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels was burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered, ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Okay, thank you very much. So, we have this picture of the Ancient of Days taking his seat and all these beings gathered around his throne. And the Bible tells us that the judgment was set. Some versions say the court was seated. Same thing, basically. And then it tells us that the books were opened. 
In other words, they have opened the books to look at the contents of those books, to investigate the contents of them. And the context again is this is after the reign of the little horn. We see in this chapter that that sequence is given us several times from verse 21 and 22. It tells us that the little horn has his reign. It says, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Some versions say judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So we have that sequence of the reign of the little horn power, and then we have this heavenly judgment scene, and then we have the time when the saints possess the kingdom, when the Lord comes. So that sequence is repeated a third time in the chapter. When you look at verse 25, it speaks about the little horn, and it gives us a time period there. Verse 25, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. Now, keeping in mind that that's an attack directly on God's commandments, on God's laws, because you wouldn't say that about just a country. Every country changes laws. But the attack is against God, and against God's commandments or God's laws, and against God's people. So wearing out the saints of the Most High, speaking great words against the Most High, and thinking to change times and laws, obviously in relationship to the Most High. And it says, they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of a time. We have looked at that time period in some of our other lessons, and especially when we looked at the little horn and his rule. And so we found that there, there's a Middle Ages time period lasting from 538 AD until 1798. There's a Middle Ages time period. And we know that that same power also manifests himself again in the last days. So Revelation 13 talks more about that and the deadly wound being healed. So basically, when we follow that time period, okay, well, we come up to 1798. Prophetically speaking, when you study out the times there, verse 26 says, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. So we're seeing here already a last day context. We're seeing a last day context. And what's interesting is when you study this chapter, you have all the kingdoms of the world, starting from ancient Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Rome, and then the divided Roman Empire when it breaks apart, so that leads us into the European nations, which essentially were the divided powers that shaped the, the modern world today. That's why we're speaking English tonight. So uh, you have all that, all that history. So you, you have to have context. Because if you just look at these verses and you don't have the context, then you're like, well, what do I do with that? When, when is this supposed to happen? But when you have historical empires and nations that have dates for their, their time in power and when they were taken out of power, then you already know like what time you're looking at in history. And when you have a time prophecy that is related to the activity of these different powers, these kingdoms and nations, then you're able to follow that time prophecy. And that's why we, we come up to 1798. And so we know that the judgment activity happens at that point. And what's really fascinating is that Daniel sees a lot of stuff happening on the earth with all these kingdoms and nations and powers. And then when it comes to the judgment scene, his focus, his attention moves from just those things on the earth to what is happening in heaven, right? That's the big thing at this point in the vision. What is happening in heaven? 
because he sees the throne of God and all these beings gathered around. He sees this judgment taking place. Verse 26 says the judgment will sit and they will take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. Notice verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. So, ultimately, the question is, do we want to follow God? Do we want to obey the Lord? Remember, those who are victorious in the three angels' messages are those who keep the commandments of God, and they have the faith of Jesus. They're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and that faith experience leads them to love the Lord and be obedient to God's commandments. Because in the new heavens and new earth, God's not going to allow wickedness to go there. He's not going to allow rebellion to go there. If we don't want to serve the Lord, if we don't want to obey His voice, how can we go there? Adam and Eve lost the Garden of Eden because they, they chose to disobey God's voice. They chose to sin. There's no way that we're going back to heaven by choosing to live a life of sin. We need to repent. That's why the Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. Let the Lord Jesus save us from our sins and don't go living a life of, of sinfulness and rebellion. So uh, the Bible shows us here that in the end, God wins. In the end, the Most High wins. And even though there's this little horn who blasphemes the name of God, persecutes the saints and attacks the law of God, at the very end, the Most High reigns, the saints reign with him, and God's law is rightfully where it needs to be. Everybody obeys the voice of God. They keep his commandments. Isn't that amazing? How that comes together. That no matter what this wicked world does and these wicked powers do, still in the end, God is victorious. His people are victorious. His righteous commandments are right where they need to be, fully in place. God rules the universe for eternity. And that is so powerful. Uh, that's what I like when you look at the, the, the outcome of the judgment is that these wicked powers on earth get in trouble and God's people are vindicated and God's name is vindicated and God's righteous commandments are vindicated. That they express true love for God and true love for man. So it's really powerful when you think about what comes out of this great judgment event and what the Lord is revealing to us in prophecy and in our human history and especially in these last days where we're living right now and we're seeing these things come about. So looking now again at verse 9 and 10 where he says, I beheld till thrones were cast down, the Ancient of Days did sit. So it's always talking about this judgment where they, they take their seats. And it says his garment was white as snow. The white obviously is representing his purity and holiness. The hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. Pretty incredible when you think about what it looks like there, God's fiery throne. The, the Bible says our, our God is a consuming fire. Have you read those verses before? Yeah, so God is like a consuming fire. He is righteous, He is holy, He is pure. And it tells us in verse 10 that a fiery stream com comes forth from before Him. Thousand thousands ministered unto Him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened. So the next question, of course, is who are these beings that are gathered around His throne? And we can look at Revelation 5.11 to see exactly who these beings are, because Revelation 5.11 shows us the throne room of God. The same thing that we're looking at here in Daniel chapter 7, 
Revelation 5 tells us more about the throne room of God. Verse 11, can we have a volunteer who can please read that for us? Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Thank you very much. So, he heard the voice of many what around the throne? Angels. Many angels around the throne. Okay, so the angels are gathered around the throne of God. And we see there that the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So now when we ask the question, well, who is this that's there present at the judgment before the throne of God? Well, the Bible says it's the angels. These angels are gathered around the throne of God in heaven. They are there. The angels are very interested in our salvation. The Bible says that there are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will be heirs of salvation. Jesus Christ presented himself as the, the ladder, Jacob's ladder. You familiar with that imagery from Genesis? And Jesus talks about it in John chapter 1. that He says the Son of Man is like that ladder connecting heaven and earth. And the angels of God are descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. So the angels are very interested in our salvation. The Bible says there is rejoicing among the angels in heaven over even one sinner who repents. So they're very interested. They want to be a part of this whole process. And remember also that God was put on trial when Lucifer, this fallen angel, accused God of being unfair and unjust, the devil. That whole story of this great controversy between good and evil is found in uh, Revelation chapter 12 and other places of the Bible. We have also looked at that in this series. We will see some more of it as we continue studying on. But the question is, is God just? Is God fair? The devil accused God of being a liar. He told Adam and Eve that, hey, God's not telling you uh, the truth. He doesn't want you to be like him. So he's trying to withhold from you something good. The devil's always twisting and impugning God's character and motives, trying to make God look like the bad guy. So there's a lot of vindication about the name of God you know, before the universe, before God's creatures, before God's angels. And ultimately, we get to see more about this, to learn more about this once Jesus comes again. So that's kind of, uh, I think, a lot of helpful information that gives us a picture, gives us a picture of what's going on in heaven. Now, there's another verse I'd want to look at before we go back to Daniel. And this is Revelation chapter 3. And verse 5. Can we have another volunteer please read that passage or verse? Revelation 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Thank you very much. So here Jesus is talking to the church, especially. As a matter of fact, Revelation 2 and 3 is the messages to the seven churches. And it's the Lord Jesus speaking specifically to his people. And he says, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in this verse, verse 5 of chapter 3, Jesus says, he who overcomes the same will be clothed in white raiment. So, does Jesus want his people to be overcoming sin, to overcome through his grace, through his power? Yes. Does Jesus want us to just be completely overcome and defeated by sin? Is that, is that 
overcoming? No, <laughs> right? That's the opposite of overcoming. So he wants us to overcome. He, he's going to give us strength and power. You know, if we stumble, okay, if, if you stumble and fall into sin, and then you give up and you stay in sin, that means you're defeated by sin, right? If you stumble and you repent and you seek the Lord Jesus and you confess, and you say, Lord, please give me grace and strength and help me to walk the right way, then you're not overcome by sin because you keep going on the right way. You keep going to follow the Lord. So you don't want to be overcome by evil. You want to overcome it. That's what Jesus is saying. So in verse 5, it says, The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, first of all, whose names go into the book of life? Because if your name is in the book of life, then you should have life, right? So uh, the book of life, think about this. Jesus, or the Bible says about Jesus, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So if we do not have Jesus, could our name be in the book of life? No. That's right. No. And Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world. We're under condemnation already. We're already in trouble because all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. We all deserve to die. Without Jesus, we don't have life. So if we don't accept Jesus, our name is not in the book of life. If we receive the Lord Jesus, our name goes into the book of life. And so he says your name will be there. And then he talks about overcoming and our name not being blotted out of the book of life. So if that is true, would the opposite be true? If we allow sin to overcome us, and we give up, and we turn away from Jesus, and we say, it's hopeless, I'm just going to go live a life of sin. But there's many that do. A lot of people do that. So, And that comes out basically in one of the most famous scriptures there is. Uh -huh. If you read just a little further of Acts 3.16, because it says, and they loved the darkness instead. They loved it instead, right? So the thing is, God never removes our freedom of choice, does He? You know, He gives us freedom of choice. Every day we can make choices. And if we choose Jesus today, but then tomorrow and the next rest of our life, we choose to deny Jesus, how is that decision, that initial decision, going to stand if we chose all the rest of our life to turn away from Jesus? Jesus talks about people who receive the gospel seed and then it falls by the wayside or it goes on stony ground and there's short roots and then, you know, you can kind of fall out of that experience because when persecution comes or the sunshine comes, it just doesn't work. Or other people who get it among weeds and they believe and, and then the weeds choke their experience and their faith. All those cares of this life choking their experience. And then there's other people who where it falls on good ground and they believe and start bearing fruit and experiencing the vibrant life in Jesus Christ. And they are overcomers. So Jesus points this out to us. And clearly in this text, he's showing us that he who overcomes, their name will not be blotted out of the book of life because you're living the life of faith. You're walking the life of faith in Jesus Christ. But if you choose to walk in sin, then the, the opposite would occur. They can't both be true. So if you know the opposite is if you choose to give up to sin, then you'll be lost. Jesus says your name will be blotted out of the book of life. He can arrange that if he must. He doesn't want it to be that way. But that's what he says. And he says, those who overcome, that their, their name will be confessed before my Father and before his angels. So we have we have already a book right here. We have the book of life that's mentioned, and we have also, confessing of our names 
before the Father, Ancient of Days, and before the angels. Is this scene matching what we just read in, in chapter 14 and also what we read in Daniel? Yes, it's matching that. So that's very important to know. Now I want to grab some more information from Revelation chapter 20 here real quick. We're looking at those books that are in the judgment, that are opened up there. Definitely the book of life is one of those books. Now in Revelation chapter 20, we see another phase of the judgment that is further down the road. And at the same time, it still has information that's pertinent to what we're looking at here right now. So we're going to read verse 12. Verse 12. Can somebody please read that for us? Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Okay, thank you very much. So this is referring to, from verses 11 and 12, this is the great white throne judgment, which is a future activity, not pre-advent like what we're looking at right now. But the, con the concept is still the same, that there's the books there, right? There's the book of life, you know, there's, the, there's also books containing works, containing records, right? You see that there's multiple books that are mentioned there. So, so the context here is like after the 1,000 years and you know, Jesus coming and all that kind of stuff. So that is, that is future. Judgment is a process. It, there's multiple phases to the judgment, okay? So we'll have a chance to look at all these phases as we continue on through our study, through our series of lessons. But essentially what you, what you find here is that there's the books that are opened in verse 12, and he says, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, according to their works. So, the books contain a record, a record of our works, good or bad. All of those are contained in the books. You ever wondered if there was a recording angel? The Lord has very detailed records of our decisions and choices, right? And especially the angels, because think about God's memory. It is perfect, flawless right? God's not going to forget anything. So he doesn't have to use a book to find that information. But his creatures need to keep some records. How about us? Do we need records? Oh yes, <laughs> we need records. And the angels also, they use records because we can see here that the angels open up those books. We read about that. They gather around. The books were opened. Obviously, they open the books because they're going to look at what's inside. They're investigating. It's a judgment. There's a process going on. So we see that all throughout the judgment that that is used. Now, there are a number of other records about the, you know, what's in the judgment. So, for example, Matthew 12, verse 36. Let's take a look at what Jesus says there. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Okay, and it says, by your words, in verse 37, by your words you shall be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. So Jesus says, every idle word that men will speak, they'll give an account. In other words, it's accounted for. It's there. It's in the record books. If we speak an idle word, a careless word, something we shouldn't say, and Lord help us, we've all said a lot of things we shouldn't say or should not have said. So all of that is in the books, okay? And the Bible also tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 a little bit more about what's in those books. So let's take a look at that. We're getting to know our scriptures tonight. 
going around checking out the different passages. What's nice is all these you know, prophets and teachers and writers, they all have something to say about these subjects. So when we study topically in Scripture, we compare what the various authors have said on those subjects. So looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and Solomon at the end of his life gives this conclusion, conclusion to his book and essentially to his life, like what he's, what he's arrived at, this wisdom because he got a lot of wisdom from the beginning, from the Lord, but he made a lot of foolish mistakes kind of departing from that wisdom in different aspects. By the end of his life, he looked back, he wrote Ecclesiastes, he's like, this is what I've learned, guys. So this is the, the wiser Solomon <laughs> at the end of his life. <laughs> and it says there, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14. Can we have a volunteer please read that for us? Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, so Solomon gives us some pretty important insight on this subject too. And he tells us there, the conclusion of the whole matter as he's thinking about what life is really about, the substance of life, that's kind of his whole question when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes. He gets down to the end, he looks at this conclusion, he says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And of course, the three angels' messages, they, they herald that message to the whole world, to all the peoples of the world. Fear God and give Him glory. Fear God and give Him glory. For the hour of His judgment is come. So we see this, this is very clearly there, and it's in the context of the gospel. You don't want to have a judgment without the gospel, otherwise every single one of us is in trouble. <laughs> so the gospel is always connected. The good news of Jesus is always connected to the judgment. That's why we're here. That's why we have hope. It's through Jesus Christ. And we can know where we stand with God. We can know that our heart is surrendered to God on a daily basis, that we're walking with the Lord. We have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So. In verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So if you think about the lawless power, the little horn, the lawless one, or the antichrist power, that power is attacking God's authority, God's laws, God's righteous commandments. And God is saying, look, you need to keep my commandments, and I'm going to bring this up in the judgment. So that means the little horn's in trouble, and anybody who follows that system and breaks God's commandments is going to be in trouble if we don't choose to follow the Lord and His ways. So we learn about that right here. We also see it in Revelations 3 angels. Now verse 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So very clearly there's a record of our works, whether good or evil. That's in the books. And then there's another book called the Book of Life. And if we believe in Jesus, our name goes in the Book of Life. And that's where we want it to be. And by faith and walking with Jesus daily, we want to see our name just stay in the book of life instead of choosing to go a different route. We want to walk with the Lord every day. We want to walk with God. We want to do His will. You have a here's, statement. Here's Psalms 139.16. Your eyes saw my unborn body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God had everything written down. He had all of our hairs numbered. He had all of our tears numbered. 
I mean, there's nothing he, that ever came to him as a surprise. I mean, so, so there's, a, there's something about God's foreknowledge. Yes. Now, I mean, another yes. question that people get into is, did God determine our course, our no. choices? No. no. There are certain aspects about our life that He determines, like where we're going to be born, that kind of stuff. But He doesn't choose for us. He asks us to choose. And yes, He will reign as sovereign judge. He has the last say. He has the last word. But He wants us to be saved. He's trying to get us into heaven. He wants us to turn from sin. The Bible says God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So Ezekiel 33.11 tells us that. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that. That God wants us to be saved. So that's good news. And God loves us. Jesus loves us. And the Father. A lot of people think, oh God, the Father, He's real stern and He's this big heavy judge and you know, maybe He doesn't care. No, He loves us a lot. Because the Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, this is what God wants for us, to have everlasting life. That's His desire. The Father sent His Son. So Jesus loves us and God the Father loves us. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So if you see love in Jesus, you should see love in God the Father. So God is the same heart and mind, <laughs> of the same heart and mind. So that's what we find here. We find the love of God. We find that God has foreknowledge. We also find there are record books that are very helpful for his creatures, helpful for us to look at things, helpful for the angels to look at things. So there are record books. What do those books look like in heaven? Are they paper? Hmm, I don't know. They probably have some better technology than what we have, but someday we're going to find out. Amen? Amen. We're going to find out. Could, what, I mean, could you even imagine what, what your book would look like? How big, how much there'd have to be in there? There's a lot in there. And I'm, I'm glad it's there because it's going to answer a lot of questions, <laughs> things that we don't know, but God's going to reveal in the future. So here we have kind of an overview of the different elements of the judgment, what it looks like. And let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 to look at a few more points there in Daniel 7. The Bible has told us already about the flaming fire around God's throne. It tells us about the Lord, the Ancient of Days, who is seated there. It tells us about the angels who are gathered around the throne of God the Ancient of Days, and they are obviously listening and participating in the judgment. The Bible says that they sit, the court was seated, and the books were opened. Uh, very clearly, this is an investigative judgment because, again, there's books, there's records. They're looking at those books and records. They're going through it, the contents of the books. It is also a pre-advent judgment because it happens before the return of Jesus for his people, before the harvest in Revelation 14 when we look at the three angels, this work of judgment happens while the gospel is still going to the world before Jesus returns and the harvest is completely ripe and he harvests it. So the context of when this occurs is very clear in Scripture. It's very clear here in Daniel's prophecies. It's also very clear in Revelation's prophecies. Now, this message is really something that God wants the whole world to know about it. How do we know that? We know that because in the three angels' messages, as the gospel is going to the world, to every people, nation, and language of the world, he says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. So, does God want the people of the world to understand and know about this judgment that occurs before Jesus arrives again, second time? He does. He wants us to know about it. Because otherwise, why would the everlasting gospel be pictured in Revelation going to all peoples of the world 
along with this message, fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour's judgment has come. Right? So God wants us to know about this. He wants people to know, to get ready for His coming. It's part of the message of, of getting ready, preparing for Jesus to come. You've heard that expression, prepare to meet thy God. <laughs> so we want to meet the Lord, and we want to meet Him in peace. We just want to know that we're walking with Jesus every day. We're doing God's will. We're surrendered to Him. And just know where we stand with the Lord, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to look at another element of what is brought into this judgment work. A couple of things we'll look at here in Daniel 7, and then we'll look at some other scriptures in the New Testament. So in Daniel 7, we've already covered pretty well verses 9 and 10. Now let's take a look at verses, well, you could read even verse uh, 11 and 12, but they kind of give us an overview. I'll read those two verses, and then we'll touch 13 and 14, okay? So verse 11 says this, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke, that's the little horn that we've been looking at, I beheld even till the beast was slain. Now in Revelation 13 is called a beast because he has obviously, now uh, a beast is symbolic for those of you who have not been studying with us from the beginning. Um, it's symbolic for a kingdom. Verse 23 tells us that the fourth beast was the fourth kingdom. So some people are like, what is a beast? What's it talking about? Well, it's a kingdom. So we're looking at political powers. Also, some of these, especially this one, is of a religious and political nature, right? It's of a religious and political nature. There's a king and there's a kingdom that go together. Um, so that has to be understood always. You're going to have a king and a kingdom. You cannot have one without having the other. If you're a king, where's your kingdom? <laughs> so they go together. All right, so now verse 12 says, As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. For example, the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great and then under his generals, we have that power, and it was the superpower of its day. But after that, it, its dominion, its power, its authority was removed. So it was no longer the superpower. Next came Rome. And the Bible says here that their dominion was taken away, but their lives were preserved for a season and time. Do we still have a Greek nation here today? Is there still Greece in the world? There is, right? But are they a superpower by any stretch of the word? <laughs> no, they're not. They've completely lost their power. They've lost their dominion, their authority that they once had in the world. It's now gone. But their life is preserved for a season and time. So that's what the scripture is referring to here. Now, when we look at verse 13, it says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Now, who is the Son of Man? Jesus. That's Jesus. He calls himself the Son of Man a lot of times. Revelation calls him Son of Man, and Daniel calls him Son of Man as well. So, one like the Son of Man, and by the way, this is the same uh, person we see coming in Revelation 14, the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds with a sickle in his hand. So here we see, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came now. Notice where he comes to in this verse, because a lot of times you read that, you're like, oh, it sounds like the second coming, because Jesus comes again with the clouds, right? But notice where he comes. It says he came to the Ancient of Days. In other words, he came up to meet with the Father there, God the Father. It says he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, who is the they? He came with the clouds, and they brought him near. The clouds, in other words. Brought, but what kind of clouds are these? Well, it's the angels. Because it's those angels 
those glorious, beautiful, winged, white, and brilliant angels, clouds of them, millions of angels, just moving through the courts of heaven with Jesus, the Son of God, towards the throne. Isn't that incredible? How big is that, you know, that throne room of God? I don't know, but I bet it's huge, <laughs> right? It's got to be just amazing. So all these angels, they bring Jesus near. They come near before the Father. We're seeing a vision of what's going on in heaven at this point in history, in the last days. And the Bible says this in verse 14, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Isn't that amazing? So this is the power of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's eternal. We've looked at the dominion of all these earthly kingdoms, right? And we saw that their dominion was taken away, but their lives were preserved for a season and time. And in this heavenly judgment, as you come to the, the closing, closing events of the heavenly judgment, the Bible tells us that all these angels, they come with Jesus, the Son of God, before the Father, and there's given to him his kingdom, his dominion, his glory, his power, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And he then comes to take the kingdoms of the world. He comes to take away their power. So right now, there are still earthly powers, earthly kingdoms that have dominion. They have control here in our lives. Politics. Not always pretty, but <laughs> they, have, they have power, right? They have dominion. But the Bible tells us that Jesus' kingdom will last for eternity. So we're looking at an eternal perspective here. That in this judgment event, as God closes up that work in heaven, Jesus receives his dominion. He receives his kingdom and his power and his glory, and he comes. And when we see him come in Revelation chapter 19, he comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes in the clouds of heaven. All those angels we saw before the throne, the clouds, they all come with him. After they meet with the Father, he receives his kingdom, his authority, and then he comes here. And he's wearing the crowns, many crowns in fact, King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that amazing? How we see that we are right on the cusp of God's eternal kingdom coming to this earth and taking over this world. We're just right there on the verge of that happening that these pages of prophecy have already been fulfilled up to this point, but we don't know when exactly it's going to close. We don't know when exactly the Lord is coming, but we know it must be very soon. And we can know that because Jesus says you can look at the signs and you can know when it's near, just like you see the buds on the trees in the springtime. You see that the, there's changing seasons. There's some signs that something is going on. So this is what we see now. In Revelation, we have a little bit more to the story. So let's go back over there to Revelation. And we're going to look at chapter 11. Chapter 11. And this one is picturing for us the, the seventh trumpet. Chapter 11, Revelation. And we're looking at verse 15 to 19. Okay, so I'm going to read over this passage here. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 and following. It says this, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Is this the same 
content of what we're looking at in Daniel? It is, right? Because Jesus comes there in heaven with the angels and receives his kingdom. And so then he gets his dominion and he comes to take over this world. So it tells us there that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Verse 16 says, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats, notice their seats, and they're sitting there, it says, They fell upon their faces and they worshiped God. Verse 17, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Verse 18, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Okay, is there a lot of finality to what's happening here? in the seventh trumpet. There is, right? There's a lot of closure taking place. And you notice that this again is happening in heaven before God's throne. And they're all bowing before God, falling off their seats and praising the Lord that he has taken his kingdom, his power and his glory, and that he is going to reign. And in fact, he will remove the dominion or power of the earthly kingdoms. He will take over them. And it says that that time has come in verse 18 when the rewards will be given. Rewards to the believers who are faithful to Jesus and rewards to the wicked. He's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. That's final, isn't it? He's going to destroy them because his kingdom has to reign forever. If you don't want to be a part of his kingdom, you won't be there in his kingdom, right? That's the only choice, life or death. The gospel is about life or death. Follow the Lord and live or don't follow the Lord and don't live. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died for us, but if you don't want Jesus to die for you, then you must die for your own sins, right? So, so God is trying to get this through to all of us. Now, one other very fascinating part about this. Notice verse 19. It says, And the temple of God was opened where? In heaven. In heaven. Yes, thank you. So the, the scriptures, the prophecies reference this temple of God in heaven. It's those most holy places, right? It's where God's throne is. Like in the sanctuary, we looked at that in our lesson series. And we see that, that um, the high priest would come into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, which was the closing service of the year. They had a daily service done in the holy place throughout the year. Then they had a closing service in the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. That finished out the services for the whole year. It was considered a day of cleansing or also a day of judgment, a day of searching of hearts. People would search their souls and make sure they confessed all their sins and they're just trusting in the Lord and they're trusting in the blood of the lamb, okay? The blood of the lamb. Uh, of course, they had also goats that were offered, but essentially it boils down to the blood, which is the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that all of this happens through. And it tells us here that the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament or the ark of his covenant. Now, what was inside of the ark of the covenant? The 10 commandments, that's right. So in the most holy place of the sanctuary, you have the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, dwelling between the cherubim, between the angels. You have the angels embroidered on the curtains around the walls of the, the sanctuary. Just like in heaven, you have all these myriads of angels surrounding the throne of God. The Bible tells us the lid to that ark was called the mercy seat because it was like a throne where God's presence was dwelling. 
So it's, it's showing us this is a little miniature picture of what's really happening there. But Revelation mentions here the temple of God in heaven. So not the model like we saw on the earth, but the real thing, like the real throne of God. Not embroidered angels, but real living angels in the presence of God surrounding him there. And so it's just incredible to, to see that. And it tells us that the ark of his, of his covenant is seen. That's the most holy place, right? That's the closing service. So it connects the closing service of the sanctuary in heaven, basically what the earth sanctuary modeled. It connects that to the judgment, to the close of God's work, to Jesus receiving his kingdom, and then Jesus coming again. So this trumpet is connecting all of those pieces. It's showing us what we saw in Daniel's prophecy. The other part is, what was inside, again, that Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, right? Love for God and love for man. Commandments number one through four, love God. Commandments number five through ten, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's kind of the summary of it, but look at the details. That's important too, isn't it? There's, there's details. God says, well, this is what love looks like. If you want to love me, don't have any other gods before me. Don't, don't make idols. Don't bow down and worship them. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, all these commandments, it's about a relationship with God, our Creator. It's about loving our Lord. And then honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't tell lies. Don't covet. So, relationships of loving our neighbors. What does that love look like? Because today you say the word love and people are like, oh yeah, that means this. Um, I'm not sure that that's really love. <laughs> so there's a lot of confusion about what love is. But the Bible makes it clear what love is. God spells it out. His kingdom is built on those principles. The throne of God and his government is built on the principles of his law. And that's why it's seen in the most holy place of the sanctuary. And then God is calling us back to look at the most holy place right at the end of time, saying, look, there's a judgment happening. Look, my law is in place. I'm calling all the world. I'm calling all people, all believers, to follow the Lord, to follow the Creator and keep His commandments. The patience of the saints here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That's what God is, is looking at. So it reveals to us that, that God's Commandments are still important, even though this little horn power tried to change God's times and laws, tried to attack the Most High, attack the people of God, the saints. God says, no, God is vindicated. God's people are rescued. God's law is vindicated in the judgment. So another, another aspect of this, looking at the law specifically, is in James chapter 2. So let's take a look there. Hebrews and then James. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, and I'll, I'll ask for a volunteer to read this one. For whosoever shall keep the law, the whole law, <clears throat> and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, Thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they shall, that they shall be judged by the law of liberty. So in the judgment, remember in the most holy place, God, God's throne, there's a mercy seat, the lid to that ark. So God is a merciful God. And how does he provide that mercy? He provides that mercy through the blood. Without the blood, there's no mercy. There's no forgiveness. There has to be blood. And the blood is the blood of Jesus. 
uh, on the earth in the sanctuary on the Day of Atonement, that final service of the year in the most holy place, they would bring blood and put it, sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Because that blood represents the blood of Jesus that atones for our sin. Only the blood of Jesus can truly cleanse us from all sin. And so that blood of Jesus is applied as Jesus is ministering there for us in heaven above before the Father, before the Ancient of Days. It is His blood that is applied. Jesus says, I'll confess your name. He applies His blood and He applies also His perfect righteousness to stand in place of our, our imperfection. You know, we've all had some guilt. We've all been guilty. But the Lord has a way of forgiving us and cleansing us and showing mercy through the blood of Jesus because Jesus is perfect in righteousness and His blood atoned for our sin. He died in our place so that we don't have to die. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's the good news. So that blood of Jesus is applied in this work of judgment. But what you notice in these verses here from verse 10 through verse 11 is about the, the integrity of the entire law of God. It says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in how many points? One. One point. He is guilty of all. So what if we say, well, I believe in all these commandments and they're good, but I don't like this commandment and I don't like that commandment. I'm just not going to follow those ones, but I'll keep the other ones because I like the other ones. If I say that, am I doing God's will? No. I'm making myself the judge of God and the judge of God's law. And I'm saying my way is better than God's way because I like these ones, God, but I'm not going to keep those ones because I don't like those ones. Right? <laughs> That's a problem. That's a problem. So he says, whoever will keep the whole law yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Now you might ask the question, which law is he talking about? Well, he clarifies that in verse 11. He says, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law, a breaker of the law. So he's quoting from the Ten Commandments, and he's saying that, look, God's commandments, the Ten Commandments are, are together. They're a package. There's this uh, integrity to God's law. You can't just pick and choose. Like, it's either all or it's none. If you break even one of them, but you keep the other ones, you're still in trouble. <laughs> so we don't want to be in trouble during God's judgment. We want to be faithful to the Lord. We want to keep His commandments because we love the Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. So if we love Him, then we want to do His will. We want to keep His commandments. So here the Bible is clearly telling us that, that uh, verse 12, it says, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Obviously, God's law is right there at the heart of the judgment work. God is there. His merciful throne is there. His righteous law, His commandments is there in the most holy place. And Jesus, our mediator, comes before the throne and applies His blood on our behalf. So all of this is pictured throughout the Bible. It was pictured in the Hebrew sanctuary and worship services. It's pictured in Bible prophecy from Old Testament to New Testament. To the very end of the Bible, it's pictured all throughout it. And so God is calling us to give our hearts to the Lord. And I want to point out just a couple things here. We need to finish up soon. So a couple things to consider is how the blood of Jesus is applied on our behalf and how we experience forgiveness and cleansing of sin. Because if we don't experience forgiveness and cleansing of sin daily, then we would be in trouble. We need to experience forgiveness and peace and grace in our lives. So let's take a look at God's promises on this. 1 John 1.9. 1 
1 John 1, 9 in the New Testament. And he tells us in this book that we have all, we've all sinned, um, but he tells us there's good news. So 1 John 1, 9, just before you get to Revelation, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Can we have a volunteer please read that? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Thank you so much. So this is, this is powerful. You know, when you look at even, even verse 7 and 8, I mean, it says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, we see it's the blood of Jesus alone that can cleanse us. And it's the blood of Jesus that's applied in the work of judgment. But now, especially focus in on verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that a powerful verse? I recommend highlighting that verse in your Bible, uh, as long as you're okay with that. I, I love highlighting the Word of God because it just brings stuff to my attention for the future. Um, but that verse, memorizing that verse, holding on to that promise, that's a promise from God. It says, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news, that He wants to cleanse us. He wants to forgive us for our sins. That is a powerful, powerful promise, a hope-filled promise. Uh, if we stumble, if we have trouble, we can take it to God and He will forgive us and He will cleanse us too, right? So there's a work of cleansing that takes place, which is also what they would do on the Day of Atonement. It was a time of cleansing, cleansing of the sanctuary from the sins of the people and cleansing of the people. Their lives were cleansed, their hearts were cleansed. And this is some of the language, if you go back and you read Leviticus 16, there, you can check it out later, there's some, there's some references in your notes there, um, but if you look at what happened on the Day of Atonement in the most holy place, it was a time of cleansing. So cleansing of the temple and cleansing of the people and the altar. That would take place on the, the judgment time or the Day of Atonement. So if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So what do we need to do if we have sinned? Well, we confess to God. Now, it's not talking about going to a confessional booth, like I know some churches teach that. You have to go to a priest or something, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you can go directly to the Lord. When you look at, at Genesis 1 and 2, well, actually it's, it's chapter 3. In chapter 3, mankind committed sin. God came looking for them. God asked them, hey, did you eat the, from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And he said, yes, I did. Now, the woman you gave me, you know, she... She tempted me to eat it, right? So he started passing the blame around. But anyway, there was confession that happened directly to God. Why is that? God knows already, doesn't he? But when we confess, that means we acknowledge, we recognize that we have done wrong. We recognize that we have sinned. And when we recognize that we have done wrong, and even, in, even specifically, if we know specifically, if we don't know specifically, well, okay, confess in general. But if you know something specifically, you can actually confess it that way, specifically, because that helps us to recognize that we have done wrong, and it helps us to get God's grace and power to overcome. In the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, 
He said, Father, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? So the idea of the gospel is that God wants to cleanse us from all evil. He wants to forgive us and be merciful, but he also wants us to live a life of victory. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Does God have the power to deliver us from evil even now, right now, as we're preparing for Jesus to come? Yeah, he does, and he wants to do that. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to sanctify us. And here's another hope-filled promise. Just, just look down to chapter 2 in this, in this place here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and this is what it says. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, which means atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's good news, isn't it? That the blood of Jesus pays for all of our sins. Now, the people in the world, unless they accept Jesus, they don't receive that pardon because they need to receive Jesus and let the blood be applied. By faith, we should receive Jesus and let his blood be applied on our behalf. Um, but, you know, there's never going to be more people than the blood can cover, right? <laughs> The blood of Jesus is for everybody in the entire world, but you have to actually believe and receive it, right? If somebody gives you a gift and you take that gift and say, I don't want it, take it back, or you take that gift and you throw it on the ground and you stomp, stomp on it, you are refusing a gift. If somebody writes you a check for a million dollars and they say, here, put this in the bank, I'm giving you a million dollars. And you say, okay, I'll take that, but I'm not going to put it in the bank. I'm just going to stick it in my closet. Is it ever going to do you any good? No. You have to cash the check. You have to get the money. Okay? So that's the gospel. The blood of Jesus pays for all of our sins. But we have to receive it by faith. We have to accept His forgiveness. And we should confess our sins before Him. And the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what's really powerful about verse 1 is it says, My little children... These things I write unto you that you sin not. The gospel message is that we would not live in sin, that we will overcome sin, that we will not find a life of sin acceptable at all because that's disobedience to God. We don't want to live a life of sin. So he says, I write this so that you choose not to sin, and through the power of Jesus you will overcome sin. But, he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Is it nice to have an advocate? Yes. Someone who yes. talks for you on your behalf? And that's Jesus. He is our advocate. He is our heavenly high priest. The Bible describes him as our heavenly high priest. And so he applies his blood. Jesus says, I will confess your name before my father and before his angels. He's speaking our, on our behalf. He's applying his blood on our behalf. And he's applying his perfect righteousness on our behalf. Because guess what? Only perfect righteousness can pass the judgment. If your righteousness is imperfect, you will not pass the judgment. And you say, wait a second, all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. All of us have an imperfect record, even if you were living from this day forward, just like Jesus, the way that he wants us to live. You and I have already done a lot of evil in our lives. And no amount of good deeds can atone for that evil. A lot of people in the world today, they say, well, all right, 
um, you know, God's going to save me because I have a bunch of good deeds over here. I've done more good things than bad things. And so, you know, if I weigh myself on the scales, God's going to say, well, you're good and, you know, mostly good. So pass. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Your works cannot save you. Not going to happen. Only the perfect righteousness of Jesus can save us. So in the judgment, his blood pays, the blood of the lamb pays for our sins, atones for them. And the the innocence of the lamb, the perfect righteousness of the lamb covers us, our faultiness. So you don't want to stand in this judgment thinking, I'm a good person. You're not a good person. Jesus says nobody's good except God. (laughs) We're not that good, you know. Even if you might say, well, you know, maybe I'm doing more good things than bad things. Well, how about pride too? <laughs> That's a sin. So, uh, so anyway, we need the perfect, perfect righteousness of Jesus. And that's what the Bible says, the Lord, our righteousness. He covers us with his robes, his garments of righteousness, which are perfect. That's what we need to be able to pass the judgment. And how do you receive those? You receive them by faith. You receive them by trusting in Jesus. You receive them by walking with the Lord each day, by giving your heart to God each day, by being filled with the Holy Spirit each day and believing, simply believing God's promises. By faith, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And that will produce a life of righteousness. That will lead us to live a life of righteousness. And we're saved by Christ's righteousness. So this verse says, If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Isn't that good news? That if I'm a believer and I believe in righteousness and I'm trying to follow righteousness and then somehow I, I messed up, you know? Maybe I, I got out of bed on the wrong side or something or whatever happens, right? Temptations come every day. Situations. Maybe we lost our temper. Happened to you? Happened to me. Uh, lots of things, right, that could happen. And so the good news is God doesn't say, oh, you knew better. That, that wicked Christian, you know, I knew it. See, look, they messed up and then take you like a, like a football and psh, kick you out. Is, is God going to do that? No, God is not going to do that. I, I say he will in a way because there's a lot of people call themselves Christians that are not Christians. And see, so we have to be careful how we say, yeah. because just like what it says up here in, uh, when you was talking, there's another verse, John, mm-hmm. verse, verse 8, mm-hmm. well, let's just go 6, 7, and 8. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So there's a difference between accepting and embracing and yeah. living in wickedness. Yeah. And you confess all you want. And somebody who is living a life through Jesus to overcome. And your goal is to be like Jesus every day. You want to be like Jesus. You want to learn from Him, right? There's a difference between someone who tries to justify a life of sin and someone who says, no, I repent of sin. I don't want that life. And I want to live this life, okay? There is an example in the Old Testament. David, who committed adultery, which was a horrible sin. He even killed somebody and God forgave him by the grace of Jesus. Old Testament, they're saved by the grace of Jesus too. No one's getting there by works. You're not going to have Old Testament Christians, hey, I got here because I was holy enough. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. No, you're saved by grace too. But they're just looking forward to the cross. We are looking backwards to the cross. 
right? They were sacrificing lambs every day, looking forward to the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we believe in the Lamb of God today. So they believed in the Lamb of God before the cross. We believe in the Lamb of God today after the cross. Same thing. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. He says that. So that's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, we have to finish. <laughs> we have to finish. Um, but there is a verse in Proverbs I do want us to read. That's Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. And this proverb, it, it's a very clear proverb that I, I hope it helps to clear up some of those items that, that you were looking at. So Proverbs 28, verse 13, and this is what it says. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So isn't that a powerful and helpful verse? Because when you look at 1 John 1, 9, um, you can basically see this. However, Proverbs just makes it very, very clear. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. In other words, if we don't confess our sins and we try to hide our sins and we say, oh, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't sin. Well, you're in trouble because God knows it. God knows what, what we've done. And so you're not really confessing. But it says here, but whosoever confesses and forsakes. In other words, God is saying you confess your sin and you don't just go out there and do it again and again and again and again. No. You confess it and you turn away from it. You repent. The Bible says repent and believe the gospel. Repentance means turning away from sin, to follow Jesus. So it says here that, that you must confess and forsake. These things go together. The reason you're confessing it is because you don't want to do it anymore, right? You don't want to live that way. You want to follow Jesus. That's why we confess it. We say, Lord, well, this is what we did. We recognize our wrong. We need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us, and He gives the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. And we say, Lord, help me so that I, I don't live in sin anymore. Lord, help me so I don't fall in that. So sometimes, sometimes we, get in, we get into this cycle of like these sins that like grab hold of us, you know? And God is saying, you need to break that through the power of Jesus. You need to break that cycle, get away from that, that sinful life. Jesus told people that they're better off losing a hand than ending up in hell because they chose to live a life of sin. Now, don't go mutilating yourself or anything, but the concept was that Jesus was saying is, look, it's serious. You need, to, you need to let the sin be removed. This is what the gospel does. The gospel removes sin from our lives. That's the power of Jesus, all right? So he's going to save us from our sins, not in our sins. And there's a verse on that too, lots of verses. But it tells us here that whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So, if you confess and forsake your sins in the judgment, guess what happens? You confess and forsake your sins, your name stays in the book of life. You're overcoming because you're confessing and you're forsaking your sins. You're overcoming. And your name stays in the book of life. Jesus says, I will not blot out your name from the book of life. You can believe that. Take it to the bank. Trust in the grace of Jesus. Somebody else who says, well... I'm going to cover up my sins, and oh, I didn't really do all that. And, you know, they maybe act holy, but then they go and do all this wicked stuff, and that's just how they live, and they don't really forsake their sins. Well then, in the judgment, you're not going to be covered by the righteousness of Christ because you've chosen to reject that, and you haven't confessed and forsaken your sins, so those aren't forgiven. So those will all stand against you in the judgment, and then guess what will happen to the name? Blot it out. 
Revelation 3.5, what Jesus says. If you're not overcoming, your name, blah, blah, blah. If you're living in Christ, you're confessing and forsaking your sins, you're trusting in Jesus every day, by His grace you're overcoming, your name is not going to be blotted out. God doesn't want to do that to anybody. All right, so you understand the difference, the, the choices here? The choice is follow Jesus and overcome, or follow Satan and don't overcome. Be overcome by sin, following Satan. But only through confessing and forsaking. See, you're not going to go to a doctor unless you recognize you're sick. Right? We have to recognize that we have sinned, and then we come to the Lord Jesus and we ask His blood to cleanse us from our sins, and we ask His power to help us overcome. Because there's power in the blood. You see, we don't overcome by our own strength. Don't be discouraged, all right? We can't overcome by our own strength. The only way to overcome is through the power of God, the power of Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. John 14, uh, no, is it 15? John 15, 4 and 5. So that's what we need. We need the blood of Jesus and his grace and his power to overcome. Well, only two things I didn't mention was the accuser of the brethren. You know who that is? Satan. <laughs> okay, there's a jury of angels who are looking at the books, who are investigating everything, and there's an accuser of the brethren, that's Satan, and who's our advocate? That's Jesus, and he's before God the Father. He's part of the process of judgment. He applies his blood on our behalf. He applies his righteousness in our place. We are saved by his righteousness, not our own. And um, the final thing is that Jesus comes to give out rewards. Can we read that verse? And we'll close. Promise? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Revelation 22, 11 and 12. That's the, last, that's the, uh, the final verse I, I wanted to read, but I didn't get to it yet. All right. So Revelation 22, 11. And this is what it says. It says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. We have choices to make, right? Jesus is coming to give out rewards. We read about that in the seventh trumpet tonight. He's coming to give out rewards. Rewards to the righteous, his servants, the prophets, and everyone else who loves him. And uh, he gives out rewards also to the wicked who destroy the earth. It says he's coming to destroy them. So in verse 11 here, we see there's a pronouncement that finally the judgment closes. God says, all right, that's it. Gospel's done. If you are, if you are unjust, you're going to be unjust still. If you're unholy and unrighteous, you're going to be unrighteous still. If you're holy, you're going to be holy still. So there's a, there's a time when God says, that's it. Door of mercy is closed. And what happens after that? Jesus comes. Jesus comes. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And guess what? That pronouncement is going to happen soon. We don't know when. And God will say, you know what? The world has reached a point and heaven has reached a point. God says, that's it. I'm cutting the work short in righteousness. It's done. Like Noah's day, there's a day when God closed the door on the ark. Either you're inside the ark or you're outside the ark. Well, you're not changing sides. And then the flood came. And Jesus says it will be like it was in the days of Noah. That, that finally, God closes the door of mercy and you're either in with Jesus or you're out and lost. So there's a lot of finality to what takes place in this heavenly judgment. And that's why the Lord wants this message to go with the everlasting gospel to all the world. 
helping people to get ready for the return of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus and be ready. How about you? Amen. Let's trust in the Lord by His grace. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your wonderful love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus who saves us from our sins. Thank you for the perfect righteousness of Jesus that stands in place of our imperfect records. We thank you, Lord, so much for this. And we want to live by faith today, live by your grace and live by your truth. And through the power of Jesus and the gospel, Lord, we want to be overcomers. So please guide us in your righteous way that we may live for you. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, everybody, for, for coming tonight. Next time, we're going to look at Lesson 15, Jesus and the Keys to Life and Death.